0: Welcome into the Husker twenty four seven podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson. It is a Wednesday in June. Nebraska has not received a commitment from a high school player in mm, six weeks.
1: How are you guys doing? I'm I'm okay. That's that's not getting in the way of my day. <laughs> I'm looking at your little pamphlet for uh, Slider for his pet suite. And yeah, I'm jealous of. It like, looks pretty great. Treatment he's going to receive. You kind of
0: want to stay there, from what I understand, after well, reading about all so the. says a complimentary
1: complimentary bath after four days? That sounds kind of nice, right? Interesting. Are yes. you imagining yourself as the
0: dog
2: on the front of that pamphlet, touching noses <laughs> with that random person? <laughs> Is
1: it, they promise at least one hours of just nose to nose touching. You know, uh, okay. I don't think
0: that's actually in there. No. Right. No, it's not. I didn't say that's kind of weird.
1: Well, that's what, that's what they're bragging about here. The I don't front. know how
0: Slider would go for that. Well, but My man. dog
1: would bite the person's nose off, and that would be the last time. Tori's not in? Yeah, probably not. All
0: right. Well, what, uh, what exciting banter do we have here? I'm going to throw out a first pitch on Thursday. So do I, do I have to, to try to, to put it in there, or do I just need to make sure it gets over the plate? Well,
2: first off, you've got to do it from the mound. Well, yeah. I don't. Well, wasn't, uh, wasn't
0: gonna go stand in
2: front of the mound. Okay. So that's first. Second, you have to make sure it gets over the plate. Like yep. that's also a must. Um. Or to the plate. And third, you you, you got to really fire it in there. I think.
0: And <laughs> put some pop. Yeah. I think my arm, which is hurting this week, uh, because I, I don't know, I, I threw a couple times not even knowing that I was going to be elected to throw out this first pitch. And it doesn't feel great, but I think I can get right around 70 on one throw, and then it's just going to dangle off the side for the rest of the week. Are you going to have them turn the gun on? No. Well, I mean, they can do what they want. they want the gun on, it can be on. you going to have a catch beforehand just to practice? I was thinking about it. I haven't played catch in a few weeks. I, I've, You know, throwing a softball, that's not the same thing. No. So I'm nervous for you. I'm nervous like initially it was like oh this is great and now it's like I've been thinking about it a lot and I part of me just thinks I'm gonna go up there get on the mound lob one in walk off it'll be over the plate you know just the most unmemorable thing possible can you throw a slider like you just go that up was the, my pitch that's why my dog's name just, just <laughs> go up there and like
2: it's... put it like a 70 mile an hour slider in the dirt and the guy's gotta get okay. over there and block
0: it I'm not sure I can throw it anymore, which is why I had shoulder surgery. But, uh, I mean, I can try. It. Someone told me I need to go up there in motion, that I'm going to throw off speed and then throw a fastball. The cross up. Just cross the, up the catcher. Try to cross up the catcher. I feel like that would be unfair.
1: I think you should be really annoying about it and tell a player you need to, you know, throw throw a bit and throw for like 10 minutes out in the outfield. Yeah, do some like d- long do toss. some long toss and flat ground work. <laughs>
0: Just ask yeah. the, the catcher to set up in a specific do the, do spot. Do the
1: long stretches that the pitchers always do, you know, where they yeah, get, get the all get that.
0: the bands going. <laughs> yeah, could do the. Have you guys ever seen Trevor Bowers pregame? He has like this wand that he basically waves. <laughs> he looks like the kid in the garage with the the lightsabers. <laughs> like that's what he looks like before every start. There, Cleveland's best pitcher, right there.
2: Yeah, you need to say you need to warm up a little bit, and when the guy says okay, like he's gonna play catch with you, just start trotting down to the bullpen,
0: just see what they <laughs> see what they do. Should I ask if I can run out of the bullpen to yes. certain music? <laughs> it, did you ask to do this? No, uh, the the ticket, the local uh, cycle through. Th- so now that I'm a professional radio guy, I'm I'm in. So well
2: friend of the podcast, Connor Happer, has thrown out several first pitches. He has a video of all of them, <laughs> which he can call up pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, He threw one pitch that I was pretty impressed by. It was probably about – he hit about 70, but it was on the black. And supposedly the catcher came up to him afterwards and gave him a little props for, for the pitch. Oh. Get ask
0: him about it. I mean, he's he'll, told me all about he'll, his He'll first tell you, pitches. yeah. His most recent one was not impressive at all. No, he really kind of loved it. He in just there. mailed it. So, but that, I'm afraid that's what I'm going to have—all these grand plans—and then I'm going to get up there, and the giant salt dogs crowd will be looking at me, I'll be a little bit nervous.
2: Is it Thursday night? You said. Yeah. Is it dollar? So beer? thirsty Thursday. Is it dollar beer night?
0: Yeah. Well, it's—I think it's two bucks off of the draws. So
1: they don't let just anybody throw on Thursday. I'll be signing autographs out in left field. <laughs> I might, after.
2: I might wind get the 10, ten month old. Go crush a couple beers and taunt <laughs> you during the first
0: pitch. I have some family members that are apparently showing up to boo. Nice. So this is uh nice that's gonna happen. But
2: I had a we had a, a longtime listener write in. Um I had a question for you. You you tweeted this week that somehow you walked into the shower wearing headphones this week. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Is there a story behind that?
0: Uh well, I mean I went for a run and then was late in terms of my schedule. And I just had, like, the headphones still on, you know, start the shower or whatever. And I <laughs> walk into the shower. I don't know what was playing. And it's still just playing. And then it hit me. It's like, why am I – this is not normal. So I, it just happened. Did, you, did, you, get, did absent- you get shampoo in your hair before you realized No, that? I okay. didn't get that far. Okay. I was just standing in there, and it's like, well, music shouldn't be playing right now. Gotcha. So – yeah. They but like, they work in the shower. I was I was asked to ask you about it, so that's considered asked. That's
1: not the worst. Do so you ever like not have your towel you don't have a towel on the rack, you realize twice af- a week. After you're in the shower and then you gotta go through Yeah, that's the worst. Drag water everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's it. I have the, the, the linen shame. closet
0: is directly in arm's reach across from the shower, yeah. so it's just like you have to yeah. you yeah. have to have the towels just on the edge so you can reach it. You don't just use a hand towel? No, I, I feel I feel like a
2: diver at the Olympics. Sometimes when I do that, it's just like you got that little, <laughs>
1: that little towel. You're you're like Greg LaGanis. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> no, you've you've never walked into a shower with headphones. These are these are like Bluetooth no, headphones, okay. so they're not connected to anything else. They're <laughs> no, like I walked in with my phone. I I figured that was the case. I and no, I have never walked into a. No. But they're. I mean, it, it proves that they're actually waterproof. Unlike, I mean, my voyage with bluetooth headphones has been amazing i had one set blow up when they were charging um i've had you know dealt with the the great beats people uh significantly with their alleged waterproof headphones that died after several months so but now this pair i'm on has been terrific there you go they can handle it pivot pivot us all right well we've uh we've exhausted our banter for the early edition of this show do you guys want to start with Nebraska's new baseball coach? Yes. Okay.
2: We lead with baseball. It's Tell Will, us about Will Bolt. It's Will Bolt. All right. Well, stunner. Thoughts? I mean, we we talked last week. I mean, I think it's the – if it wasn't going to be, you know, a top ten huge name, I mean, I th- I think Will Bolt made a lot of sense for Nebraska. Um, the The interesting part to me, I mean – i think he's ready to be a head coach i think the fact that he's been through the sec as a top assistant i think kind of renders the lack of you know power five head coaching experience mood a little bit the the thing with him is you know what's that staff going to look like and we know that former husker catcher jeff christie is going to be coaching pitchers uh lance harville i believe is how it's pronounced um from sam houston state uh, is going to be the recruiting coordinator, which was really the kind of key hire that Will had to make to kind of get that thing up and running. Uh, but, you know, Lance is, is an interesting guy too. He was with Will at Texarkana College. Uh, went on to, I guess they're just calling themselves Louisiana now, but Louisiana Lafayette back in the day with the Raging Cajuns when uh, there was a couple years stretch where they were just hitting the piss out of the ball. Um he was there at that time and then moved on to Sam Houston state. So, uh, I I think it's a good hire. There's, it's a young staff, but you know, it's, I I think it's a staff that can win in the big 10. Um, you know, I'll be interested to hear from Will about kind of Jeff Christie and his experience with pitchers. I know he did it at, at central Oklahoma, uh, when he was an assistant there, but, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a solid hire this is probably what i put it at.
1: The thing I figured out about Bill Moose is he's going to be darned if he's going to get someone as a coach of any of his sports that views Nebraska as like a stepping stone. When you think about all the – what he's aligned here with Frost, Hoyberg, Bolt, some we sometimes I do it. We I think we get a little hokey with he's gotta be tied to Nebraska this way and that way. But the one thing you would have to say is all those guys you could see where they view it as a long term job for them. I mean I I don't know as much about Hoyberg yet with that, but especially Frost and Bolt <clears throat> I don't think this is a deal deal like Van Horn where if Will Bolt has like five or six years I necessarily think he's like looking for the exit sign either right. like so i i think i think that's a huge deal to moose is like this needs to be a landing spot to you you need to feel that way about it that have that kind of passion and we've seen that in every hire now
2: with, with will it, it's fascinating too i mean the you have competing narratives you know you've got a and m fans who you know certainly feel a way about their baseball program um that you know felt like will did a pretty subpar job this last year with their offense. So they didn't take a, they they took a step back. But you know they they had top twenty five offenses in two of his first four years there. You go back and look at the Erstad era and the best years average wise as a team were when Will was running the offense and they took a big step back the year after he left and they gave the keys to Mike Kirby. So you know it's I, I think that he is going to. I think he can have success running that offense. I think the fact that you know he's been around some really good coaches. I mean, it, obviously, you know Rob Childress has kind of turned that A&M program uh, in, into a name program in the SEC. I, I think I think Rob's a great coach, um, but I mean, you 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 look at Will, you talk to Will, he, he's kind of the second coming of Dave Van Horn in terms of how he talks. I mean, we'll see if you know that plays itself out on the field as a coach, but. You know, you, you can see the coaches that have rubbed off on him in a, in a big way, and I think that's one reason, too, that, um, you know, even Bill, even though Bill Moose said, you know, we want to have head coaching experience for this this job, uh, why he felt comfortable going with Will.
0: Well, he has a little head coaching experience. So yeah, but
2: I, I didn't understand why I, – I, I get why Moose has to say, you know, we want to look for Power 5 coaching experience first, but – I mean, that, that was a line that people really kind of glommed onto in the hire uh, and kind of looking at, you know, potential directions that could have gone for that thing. Well,
0: people like to glom. They glom. So you look at Will Bolt, you look at what Nebraska has in its recruiting. What, with, with baseball, I know what happens with football. I know what happens with basketball. When there's a coaching change in baseball – do you anticipate that there are a lot of player movement that goes along with that?
2: Uh, well, I know that they had one kid that had signed with Nebraska out of Ohio that ended up going to Pitt um, instead of Nebraska, and a lot of that was just based on the fact that you know, Darren said wasn't going to be there. But you know, with baseball, you know, everybody's not getting getting full scholarships, so right. you're you kind of know what percentage you're going to get. You're locked in a little bit. I think a lot of the guys that you know, were coming anyways, had I mean, they've been committed for two plus years. And, you know, they, they've obviously committed to the staff, but I, I think there's an attachment to the the school too. And, you know, it's tough to move around this late in the process. And a lot of those guys are enrolling in July. So I, I don't see a ton of movement. I think where you will see movement, I think you will see a guy or two that's not going to be back next year that, that was on Nebraska's roster this last year. And I, I think that you're going to see Will Bolt and the staff look at Kind of the Aaron Polinski route and finding junior college guys uh, who are available to, to kind of fill things in. So, um, you know, that that's where I would expect to see the movement uh, roster wise going into next year. And and you know, frankly, the, this this roster is set up to be pretty good next year. I think um, you know you have to find some starting pitching, and I think that's one direction that they would probably look to add somebody, but. Um, You know, this is a a program that's been to regionals three out of the last four years. They've got some guys that I think are going to turn into good players, and now it's going to be up to the staff to develop them. He's got – that roster has some
1: guys that are kind of uh, of that mentality, at least, of the Will Bolt-type Husker teams, too, when he was a player here. Like, Cam Chick's the first guy I think of. Like, when I've I've watched Cam Chick play, his personality – It reminds me of the guys that were on, like, those teams that Bolt was on. Dropping F-bombs about umpires? Well, there's a little bit. (laughs) Erstad (laughs) talked about it at Big Ten. Like, he was, Chick got after an umpire or something after Strike 3, and Erstad didn't love it, but he kind of did, you know. It was one of those things, like, at the time, you're like, dude, you got to chill a little bit. But really, you love that you have some guys with that mentality. And I think there's a few young players that do kind of have that, and we hadn't seen that maybe the last couple of years with Husker baseball, but I think a couple, a few of those freshmen kind of brought that in. I
0: think when just sticking with baseball here, and then we will jump over to football. I think the thing I'm most curious about is Jeff Christie as a pitching coach, because to me, Nebraska baseball success lives and dies on the type of pitchers that they're able to develop over the long term and the depth that they can put together. I mean, when, one of the reasons that Rob Childress was the the choice on everyone's mind is that he, unlike Mike Anderson, did not get the head coaching job and did not fail at Nebraska. But you could also point to what was successful at that time, which was how many pitchers he went out and found, developed, and not only had careers at Nebraska, but went on to have careers outside of Nebraska, too. And Jeff Christie is going to have a pretty big job ahead of him, uh, which... He's a, he's been you know a catcher or was a catcher most of his life, so it's not like he hasn't worked with pitchers. So I, I think that that's all there, but to, to go out and be able to identify and then develop is going to be just kind of the, the key. And people didn't necessarily love Ted Silva around here, more so, I think, in the Omaha baseball community than anything else, but he did a pretty good job of finding some guys that were able to overachieve, I guess, if you will, Based on actual arm talent, but they didn't develop a whole lot of depth. So I'm very curious what it looks like with Jeff Christie. I'm fascinated to know if they're actually going to have midweek starters instead of Johnny All staffing every damn game. Um, I hate that because I, I don't think it helps your guys develop in the long term. But well, you know, I'm very curious what you think about Jeff Christie and and really what could happen with that spot. I think it's huge. It, it, I was curious when you said the recruiting coordinator was most important. Because I had always thought the pitching coach was going to be the biggest hire for a guy like Will Bolt.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, when you have a young staff, I mean, a, a, f- a f- basically first-time head coach at the Power 5 level, and, and this is why I said the, the recruiting coordinator part of it, you, you need somebody to kind of kind of be the, the drummer for the band, so to speak, and kind of set the tone. And when you, when you look at what... Uh, drummer for the band? I Har- don't know if I've heard that. What Harville did kind of at, at Sam Houston State, I mean, he was the top recruiter in that conference um you know they were a very good team uh during his time down there um and and you need somebody that that kind of is aggressive and and they're going to try to look locally first i I mean i think every nebraska coach that ever gets hired says that but i think in baseball you can have success doing that and if you can develop guys you can find arm talent in nebraska uh and and keep them at home and, and kind of build i mean that's what that's what Childress did to to an extent, especially later in his time in Nebraska. You know, a lot of those guys that, that they had success with in, in that 05 team were guys from Omaha, were guys from Lincoln, Iowa, Colorado. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of why I said that. With Jeff Christie, uh, you know, he, he's a – it's a cliche, but he, he's, a, he's a smart baseball guy. I mean, he was – you go back and look at his playing career, he advanced really quickly through the Twins minor league system and basically kind of topped out at AAA ball because of a certain catcher that the Twins had at the time that was pretty early in his career uh, that he wasn't going to be able to unseat. So, you know, he, he's he's done some with the pitching. He's been uh, at Central Oklahoma. He was around Rob Childress, but I'm also fascinated by that too. And I, I've talked to a few former players that, you know, were around Jeff Christie when he was a volunteer at Nebraska. And, you know, they really liked, um, you know, how he dealt with players. And I, I think that's, you know, a part of being a pitching coach too is outside of the mechanics is just being able to get guys to trust you. And, you know, I, I think he'll be able to do that. And, that, you know, tomorrow's a press conference. We'll hear from Will Bolt. But that that's, you know, I, I'm interested to kind of hear that too because I, I think it definitely does catch your attention when you've got – a catcher coaching pitchers, but at the same time, if it's not going to be a former pitcher, I think having a catcher there makes sense too.
0: Were You talking AJ Pruszynski? Uh Brian no. Harper? I was not. Those are. I'm just now looking up twins catchers to throw. I wasn't here. talking Dan Gladden either. Terry Steinbach. Still no. No. Okay. Joe? Was he talking to Joe?
1: Yeah, he's talking about the guy who has a commercial about. Uh, Water boating safety now on the Twins <laughs> broadcast, which I take very seriously. Nothing more on that? I forget the quote. Joe Mauer has some quote about, think you shouldn't wear a life jacket? Think again. <laughs> and it does always make me pause. But. Uh,
0: I mean, he makes a good point. You should always think again as it relates to water safety and life jackets. No, uh, you should. That's baseball. That's baseball. All right. Well, let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, we will bust out the wheel. Spin the wheel. We'll bust out the summer wheel of fun. We'll talk a little recruiting before we do that. We'll uh, highlight what has happened recently in terms of Nebraska's camps. We all saw Blaze Gunnarsson, Teddy Prohaska. They have a big visit list coming in for the summer barbecue. So we will get into that. And as I said, summer wheel of fun. All right, so Nebraska hosted Blaise Gunnarsson, Marvin Scott the third for official visits this past weekend. Those guys were in officially ex-Xavier Watts with heavy emphasis on the X. visited unofficially. Nebraska had their big man camp where Teddy Brohoska worked out. What stood out to you, Brunst, uh, over the last couple days? Not really days, I guess, over those two visit periods.
2: Yeah, I mean the kind of getting to see—it's rare that you get to see an official visitor who technically hadn't started his official visit yet, uh, coming to work out um, like Blaze Gunnerson did, and uh, I mean he was the premier player, the dominant player, I think, at, at that uh, that event on Friday night. There's no doubt about that. Um, the 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 pipeline camp was more. Intriguing to me because Nebraska really put a lot of promotion into it. They had former players talking about the the glory days and, and kind of how they were good and the line play and things like that. You had 300 people there. Um, some intriguing guys uh, regionally. I think what did they say 20 states or so were represented, I, I think that event can grow into something. Um, you know, I I think it's tough because you know they wanted to kind of keep the numbers low you want to let a lot of local kids into that thing too. So it's kind of that balance of like, how do you kind of save spots and, and target kids to, to bring them in, but also, uh, you know, getting the local kids into, you mentioned Prochaska. I, I thought he was, you know, every bit of, you know, what, six eight two seventy eight eight looked like he was about 215 pounds. I mean, you, you look at a kid like that and you can see how you could add weight pretty easily there. If you're Zach Duvall, um, so he, he was probably the, the more intriguing player there.
0: Real quick, who do you think has, like, the better six-pack, Teddy Prohaska or BC from his Snap Fitness workouts? Um, you probably <laughs> need to do a lineup to confirm. Yeah, let's,
1: let's not do that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean – he, he had a lot of attention focused on him. I mean, you he, he had other coaches there. He was getting coached up by Les Miles, which was kind of odd. But um, he got offered by Arizona State. And Nebraska, I think, was correct to offer him early uh, because he's one of the better line prospects we've seen in State in quite some time.
1: What do you think is the vision for this? Do you think, I mean, the way it was promoted and the attention to it makes me think, you know, the goal is in like three or four years to make this a deal where you got some serious four-star type dudes that are like, I got to go to that camp because that's – I mean, the, that that to me seems like what they're aiming for down – and it's going to take time to get there, and I don't know if they can, but that's a decent uh, objective to set for yourself, I guess.
2: It, it's tough too, though, because I was thinking about it, and the – Kind of the way the recruiting cycle is now with camps, is, I I think it's kind of flies in the face a little bit of getting like elite type talent there because, you know, for a lot of kids they're not going to come to Nebraska without an offer, Uh, and you know at that point too it's like okay well why am I going to come work out if I've got the offer anyways I mean Mm -hmm. it's more intriguing to me to see you know what what freshmen what sophomores are coming to that camp who in Nebraska can kind of project down the road that this is going to be an offered type kid. Um, because, you know, by the time guys are seniors, I mean, that they've kind of been seen, you know, coaches have seen them on film. Um, so that that's – I think they'll need to do a little bit better with some of those younger kids uh, regionally and, and maybe get some of those national type kids. And, you know, the other part of it is too is if you – can say, you know, look, you know, th- these are the schools that are going to be there um, beyond just Adidas schools. I mean, that you, you think about that camp at Lindenwood where you have, what, 70, 70-some schools mm-hmm. there. I mean, maybe you, you up the number there to try to bring in more uh, regional-type talent, but I, I think it's definitely, you know, if it's something that Nebraska keeps at, I think they'll be able to do that. But I, I think there's kind yeah. of a limit in some ways for – you know, you're not going to see, like, a, a Friday Night Lights type line camp that Nebraska was hosting a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, you, you make a good point because if I'm, like, a 15-year-old lineman um, and maybe even a 15-year-old lineman who is going to be a four-star at some point, a few of those guys, um, it would intrigue me to, to come to that camp because, I mean, you that's, it's a perfect setup for you to, like – you know, Les Miles being there, you know, he's as quirky as he is. That was kind of, you know, it's interesting when you got a guy like that on, on Nebraska's field and you've got all, you got, you see Miami's colors out there and you saw Rutgers. That's always a huge deal when you see Rutgers <laughs> walk in the door. Uh, but no, I, I, I think, uh, I think what you're saying is right, the more I think about it. It's it's a perfect like uh, evaluation of younger guys. So people need to have patience with it, really, and understand that it's kind of a long game. It could be how they use that camp in some ways.
2: Right. And, and you know, it's also about priorities for Nebraska. I mean, Greg Austin said, you know, we didn't want to have it be a camp where a guy gets you know, one or two reps in one-on-ones or something like that. Um, and, and there's certainly those camps out there. Uh, but, you know, if you open it up to, you know, 400, 500 kids or something like that, I wonder if you would have a little bit more success uh, in, in kind of getting uh, more of those regional-type kids there. And it, it's, you know, I, I think it's one of those things, too, where if you just look at the, at the border states around Nebraska, I mean, there, there's potential to, to have kind of those elite-type, you know, high three, low four-star kids maybe come and work out if you can, you know, really grow that thing into a big-time event. Indeed. Schaefer's typing. Schaefer, what are you Feverishly over here. Yeah, we had a little bit of.
0: Uh, we had a little bit of breaking news. Uh, not really. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Dominic Watt, former Nebraska signee and commitment, uh, was part of the 2019 class. Did not qualify for. No, he was part of the 2018 class. Did not qualify for college last summer uh, due to kind of a unique circumstance with his SAT or ACT scores. Is coming out to Nebraska now for the June twenty first barbecue. It's kind of the first that really indication that Nebraska had been talking with Dominic Watt. I've been asking people about that, including Dominic himself, who notoriously quiet, remained quiet on the subject. Uh but even Nebraska's interest hadn't seemed to be that strong. So it is really interesting to me he's coming out for that barbecue, which kind of leads us right into this conversation.
2: He's a Sorry,
0: He's at Highland now, right? Because he was at Garden City or He was at Garden City. I don't know if he's as far as I know, he's still at Garden City. Willie Canty went to Highland. I don't know. Did Dominic Watt follow him there? Not at all. I'll dig again. Continue. Okay. Sorry. I thought well, I, I thought know he moved. If you knew something on that or No. Oh. Uh as far as I know, still at Garden City. We'll check on that. Dominic Watt had sixteen catches last year for Garden City, hundred and eighty eight yards. He was recently at Kentucky for a visit. He's obviously a re-recruitable wide receiver. He's someone Nebraska is interested in, Six foot three, two 205 pounds, is listed on Garden City's roster currently. Be curious uh, how that plays out. But Nebraska is also hosting Omar Manning this weekend as well, among many other recruits, and we'll run through some of those here shortly. But Omar Manning, no less interesting. Former TCU wide receiver, signee, bounce back. Six foot two, two 214 pounds, he's a three-star rated by 24-7 Sports, number two wide receiver in the junior college ranks. Oregon involved with him, Nebraska involved with him. I think Nebraska would very much like to close out Omar Manning this weekend. Uh, talked with Steve Wilpong a little bit about that on the recruiting hour on Tuesday, and he thinks that that's maybe Nebraska's – top target of all of those guys that are going to be there this weekend. So, junior college wide receiver recruiting all of a sudden very interesting. Nebraska's got a really interesting crop of guys coming in this weekend. Sevion Morrison running back out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. You have Malik Reed, linebacker out of Arizona. Currently, they have Devin Curtis, a linebacker out of Tennessee on campus for a Wednesday official vi- or excuse me, unofficial visit. You have Co Bryant Strother, a linebacker out of Georgia that's making his official visit. Uh, so you've, you've got a lot of guys coming to campus. Turner Corcoran's going to be there. Xavier Betts going to be there. Avante Dickerson's going to be there. I would bet Teddy Prohaska is going to be there. TJ Bowlers is going to be there. Ryan Keeler, a 2021 defensive lineman from Iowa, is going to be there this weekend. So a lot of people coming in, a lot of visitors, big opportunity for Nebraska to get off the slide. Very curious, you know, what happens this weekend with Nebraska's recruiting. You guaranteed it. Come I guaranteed on. a commitment, yes. You afraid? No. Uh, I mean, I, I think Alex Kahn, who I probably neglected to mention because I neglected to mention him for some reason, likely I think ends up as a Nebraska commit this weekend. He's visiting as well. There's a defensive back out of Florida whose name is escaping me at the moment. Lynham is his last name. I don't remember his first name. He's visiting as well. So, they, they've kind of got, you know, a bunch of positions covered. I think there's a couple other wide receivers that will be coming in too. So, they're, they're covered on a lot of fronts in terms of positions. I think eventually, you know, you build this kind of atmosphere for the visit. You get guys in. You get Turner Corcoran around doing a little peer recruiting. Xavier Betts doing a little peer recruiting. I think Nebraska is going to ultimately start walking away with some commitments. And then – I think Blaze Gunnerson is going to be very close to making a decision next week. He's got Iowa State this week after visiting Nebraska last week. Marvin Scott, the third, they really did a nice job with in terms of his visit. As far as you know, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech seem to be the teams Nebraska needs to beat out there, which strikes me more as a distance thing uh, than really anything else because the running back offense of Nebraska at the moment has to be one of the most easily sellable positions out there. So eventually they're going to start getting these commitments. I expect this
1: weekend will be a good one. Is uh, You mentioned Turner Corcoran and him being around. You've talked to him a few times, more than a few. How do, how do you think his personality plays as far as the the idea has been set kind of or cast that he's the – the lead peer recruiter that for this class, maybe, or he could be? Yeah. Do you feel that he's that type of guy? I think he
0: can be. Uh, he just has relationships with a bunch of people because he's been here 47 times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's part of why he's a lead uh, peer recruiter, because he has relationships with Nash Hutmacher, with Blaze Gunnerson, with Xavier Watts. Uh, he's been talking to Marvin Scott III. He's been talking with some of these other guys uh, who he met, you know, during the spring visit weekend. So I think because he's already established some of those relationships because he's been around – really helps, but he's also got a a pretty outgoing personality. He's obviously very high on this staff and will tell you why. And then he <laughs> carries a little cachet. I mean, it's it's a little different when a top forty recruit's basically telling you, Hey, this is this is where you need to be. I want to be blocking for you, Marvin mm-hmm. Scott. I wanna be, you know, pass protecting for Adrian Martinez when he's trying to get you, Omar Manning, the ball. Like that that kind of stuff matters. When your your peer recruiters have that sort of cachet behind them that they were wanted by other teams in the country, that they're top 40, top 50 guys, that can go a long way. I mean, so I, I think that that all helps. And I, I think it's going to be a very successful weekend. I really do. Got a question for you. In the what, You guys keep having questions as if I'm not trying to write something over here while we're also doing a podcast. In the nine, eight recruiting seasons that you've covered, who's Nebraska's best
2: peer recruiter that they've had? It, the, and it doesn't even have to be somebody that ended up signing
0: with Nebraska, but. <laughs> well, I mean, so you're basically just angling for me to mention Brendan Radley Hiles on this show. Non Brendan Radley Hiles. Okay. Best, uh, best uh, peer recruiter. Um. If you if you were to just stick with this staff for a moment, they would tell you that Garrett Nelson was invaluable throughout the, their run last year. That he was able to make quick friends with a bunch of guys that he, you know, regardless of position, regardless of where people were from, could sell Nebraska to pretty much anybody. Was it the uh, mullet? I think the mullet played a part of it. It's like an eighth wonder of the uh, world, by the way. I, I think that his just general passion and enthusiasm broke through for a lot of people. Uh, but that's that's someone that you wouldn't necessarily have expected. In other classes, I mean, obviously – Brandon Radley-Hiles was big when he was committed in the 2017 class, but that folded fairly quickly. Um, Michael Rose-Ivy always comes up in these things. I think that... He never got
2: Jordan Diggs to commit, though. Right,
0: he never got Jordan Diggs. And Jordan Diggs I don't think ever really went on to do a whole lot with South Carolina. He did not. Uh, I'm really struggling to come up with other names. There's been some... We can double back on it.
1: Do you think... Sometimes. Gerald
0: Foster was pretty good. and Luke Gifford was pretty good. But those classes aren't exactly the ones that stand out to you as and guys really cashed in and were good. Some of it is Nebraska has not produced, like, some high-quality players where you're like, oh, yeah, well, this player helped bring them in. I mean,
1: every class has peer recruiters. Just not every class goes on to amount to much. Yeah. It it feels like to me when the recruits talk just as much. They speak of guys, and I count these as peer recruiters too, who are already on the campus. You know, for they've been there a few years. And if I recruit, that's kind of how I'd view it. I would. I wouldn't be as fascinated with what the other seventeen-year-old who hasn't been there says. I'd want to know what Mohammed Barry or somebody, or and I. So I think of Mo Barry. As a great peer recruiter, I don't know if he was – I can't remember in that class necessarily what he did. Uh, he, had, he was kind of up in the air a little He's bit. He was a pretty late addition, yeah, so, he, so he wasn't – Yeah, and his status was kind of hanging in the balance for a little bit. But now, I mean, you hear Barrett Rood talk about a guy like Barry, and, I mean, if you're a senior in high school, junior in high school – And that guy who's a grown man is walking you through and saying, this is why I like it, X, Y, Z. I'm listening. Same with Adrian Martinez, which you had a story about recently and now his impact on, uh, was it Gunnarsson or somebody? Yeah. um, Uh,
0: Adrian Martinez is certainly someone that ranks up there. Mo Berry has gone out of his way uh, to talk to a lot of guys that have come through. Malik Reed really enjoyed talking with Mo Berry. I think Malik Reed's excited to see Mo Berry again this weekend at the barbecue Uh, Mo Berry talked with, you know, offensive linemen. He's talked with wide receivers. Uh, His name has come up continually as someone that has just gone out of his way to just go meet these guys when he sees them, you know, walking through the building or whatever, to just go introduce himself, kind of tell his story a little bit, which is thus, he thinks that if this staff hadn't come along, he'd have been lost in the shuffle in terms of playing time. Um, Or, you know, he doesn't think that he would be where he is as a player without Mm – this staff and so he fully believes in them and and what they're doing and i think he really kind of wants to articulate and sell that to these guys that you know if you're going to commit somewhere really believe in the people uh and and so that's which is interesting because he was recruited by an entirely different staff and yet he feels very strongly connected to barrett rude and to eric shenander and scott frost and so i i think that's really kind of interesting and then adrian martinez uh, is a an effective peer recruiter in the sense that he's very capable of talking with anybody, of getting along in almost any situation. He played Madden with Blaze Gunnerson, beat him. Uh, Blaze wants a rematch. Apparently, mm-hmm. that's being set up, or I'm told it's in the works. And we'll see if we can get a Twitch live screen. Uh, you know, of, of that. Jeez, that would be popular. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. It really would be. <laughs> it would be ridiculous um, how many people so, are watching that. Right. And so I, I think that uh, you want some of those high-profile guys to, to help out in that regard uh, because I, I kind of remember talking with some other veterans in the past and certainly former players of the 90s where, you know, they, it's not that they weren't interested in the recruits coming through, but you kind of had your own thing going on and you just you went about it. But there's a little bit more, it seems like, effort uh, from guys on the team and I'm not saying that this is like a Scott Frost thing because I don't know if it is or not, but it has come up more where more current players are involved in in talking with these guys than what I had heard in the past.
1: Yeah. I mean, Martinez, just star power. Like, he's the one guy, you know, a a recruit walks in, you're seeing him pop up on your social media feed that this guy's in the Heisman race, and he's talking to you, taking time to, you know, spend with you. That's going to be a big freaking deal to you. Do you need to need to type for a minute? Should we spin the wheel?
0: Yeah, you guys spin the wheel. I'll finish the story. Whoa.
1: Brian, do you want to spin the wheel? Did you ding the wheel up a little bit? Yeah, it was.
2: It I, I was working on it over a little. The give it a give it a give it a spin there.
1: <laughs> a little woodworking project, and you, you got
2: some. Yeah, that, that, that was a pretty piss poor spin.
1: Give it a, really spin <laughs> it like you mean it. <laughs> <laughs> one, one. there. I guess we got one. all right. There you go. All right. What did we land on? Topic here? of the week. Okay, this goes along with uh, what Bruns wrote about today: one breakout husker for 2019. we aren't talking about much that that was also on the question.
2: what's that? We aren't talking about much.
1: Yeah, yeah, like a guy who you think is going to bust out i I think my this topic may have been for me placed on the wheel okay um. A dude who's not getting enough love. Yes. And you're gonna. You're saying I'm buying stock in him right now. It's low, but look at look at what I'm gonna get the payout. Okay.
2: So I did write about that on the site today. Actually. Yeah. And did uh, you forget the guys you mentioned? Y- yeah, I'm reviewing who I said.
1: That happens to me sometimes. <laughs> I'll write <laughs> something and like within four hours I'll forget like the, who I even had on there. Here, here. i go.
2: I've, I've got. I can go first on this one. All right. And he, I guess he technically broke out last year, but I I just feel like Cam Taylor's setting up for a good season. And, you know, he played some corner last year, was transitioning from quarterback in high school to to a defensive back. And you, you looked at him in the spring and just talking to him, being around him, he was like, there was like a a level of confidence that you could see that he had kind of risen to that next level. And when Travis Fisher says that a guy has the potential to start at any position in the secondary, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, Travis Fisher isn't somebody that I typically think just says things to say, to say, says things to say things. So I'll take him at his word. Unlike us. Yes. Um, So, I'm going to go Cam Taylor. I think he's going to have a big year somewhere in that secondary. I don't know where because you've got two veterans at cornerback. Maybe he plays a little safety. Definitely Nickel. I mean, I, I think uh, they'll find a spot for him, and I think he's going to play some on special teams too.
1: Yeah, they had him working as a take so much into it, but he was a return man during the spring game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's worth noting. That's That's a good answer, maybe the best answer. I'm going to – This could be seen as cheating, but I don't think it is. I don't think Tyron Ferguson gets talked about a whole lot, in part because his injury kind of set him back, and we, we missed, like, the heart of his season last year. And I think Tyron Ferguson could be one of the best defenders on the team this year. Like, or if not a tackle leader or right up there in that conversation or in the TFL category. I think he could have a shot at being the top guy. He, I think perfectly fits in like his measurables, what they love about an outside linebacker in this three, four scheme. And we just haven't seen him have a full season where he can put it all together. And if he can actually get that health wise, he's my, he's my answer to this question.
0: So, I think that would be really good for the Nebraska media because Tyron Ferguson is actually one of the uh, better quotes on the team. He just didn't – so last year he didn't talk until basically Iowa week. Yep. And his reasoning was I hadn't done anything deserving to be talked about or to talk to you
1: guys. He's a mature kid. Yeah.
0: He gave – probably the best interview that I had all of last year was him holding court uh, during some Class C-2 football game at 10 in the morning. Uh, so I would be very curious with Tyron Ferguson, if he's able to stay healthy. I mean, it provides a different look on their defense a little bit. And then uh, be a good quote to go along with Mo Berry. I mean, those two guys are, are excellent talkers, which is always nice because I think Nebraska's defense is going to be a lot of the conversation this year. I think those guys are going to be better. Uh, I know I was pretty out on them last year. I'm the other way this year where I think they're, they're going to have – a chance to surprise people and put up statistically good numbers that are going to help the Huskers going forward. Now that I'm done stalling, so when you read this question, I thought of someone that has been a starter for two years, essentially, but I think he's going to go to another level. Mm -hmm. Is it cheating if I say Brandon Hymas? No. Because I I think Brandon Hymas has the ability to be an all-Big Ten offensive lineman. I think Brandon Hymas has the ability to be Nebraska's clear-and-away best lineman. I think Brandon Hymas is Nebraska's most important lineman because he plays left tackle, but I think if you talk to Greg Austin, it took a few games for Brandon Hymas to kind of kick it into gear last year. The Michigan game in specifics was one that Greg Austin was unhappy about, but if you talk to him after, say, Michigan State, totally different lineman. Nebraska's line a lot better as the season went along. I think you can chart some of that with how Brandon Hymas played. I think Brandon Hymas could have a monster year. I think he's a really, really good player. He was a hell of a pickup by Mike Cavanaugh on that staff. Um, I think he's still was growing in the mental parts of the game. And I think Greg Austin is a really good offensive line coach. We're going to see those guys develop. Yeah. And while we talk about what they don't have on the offensive line, what they do have are three guys in Bo Wilson, Matt Farniak. Brandon Heimes that are all ripe for development and could make major jumps, and it wouldn't be surprised at all if we finally see an all Big Ten offensive lineman, and it's Brandon Heimes.
1: In, mo- in almost every case before him, Brandon Heimes would be a redshirt sophomore right now. Yeah, what he did his first year is unparalleled. It, it actually is. If you he sat set Husker history in how many games he started. As there's a a, there's only like five true freshmen who started at Nebraska on the O line, and he has like double what the other four guys had in starts that year. Can you how many can you name? Uh well one of them was the the kid from Florida, Tyler Moore Tyler Moore. Andrew Rodriguez. Yeah. Wasn't Shields, Himes? one of them?
0: No, I don't think so. Because he wasn't wasn't Tyler Moore the first ever true freshman to start on the offensive line? Uh, he
2: started the op- I think the oh, qualifier was that's the always opener to
0: distinguish, yeah. Yeah. So maybe Will Shields would be one of them. But
1: I can name those three and then I kind of struggle. I got yelled at about Tyler Moore by Bo Polini pretty good one time. That's why I always remember that one cuz I talked to his dad when he left. Yeah, you're just and, not allowed to talk to people. Yeah, you shouldn't do that because Bo said, and you, I got a problem with you too to me when I wrote the story. Tyler Moore, good memories. He could, he was a guy I thought was really going to yeah. set the world he on He didn't the have fire. the
0: career that he probably should have. but
1: I think Hymus is a good answer, though, um, even though he has started two years because of exactly what you're saying. It, it, it's It's about making that step from he's okay yeah. to... Ivy Shields was guy. the
2: second Nebraska offensive lineman to play as a true freshman in '89. Was Jake Jake Young?
1: Did he play as a true freshman? You know, I don't. I should know those the names on that list because I've written that thing about five true freshmen about twenty times. But but Heimis is just. I mean, what he did that first year uh, was pretty special, and it, some of it was out of necessity. Because they just didn't have have the goods there at that time, and I thought it was illuminating in the spring before the spring when Greg Austin, because I think all of us get caught up in uh, Hymas ceiling for good reason, but when Austin kind of set the table and said, "Now you know the leader on our line right now Farniok. is Farniak, and I think that was a that was a news flash to me that Farniak was the dude to shoot for, and I think also good for Hymas in a way to like here here's the bar." Go meet it, you know.
0: Here's why I think that Farniak is a leader of that offensive line group. I think he's kind of become the vocal leader. He's been the guy that has worked with people, you know, after drills or wants to do the extra coaching. Farniak wants to get into coaching. Um, Having those older brothers that have pushed him in that regard, I just think it's probably a more natural ascension to that role. Brendan Hymas, a little bit more of a quieter guy uh, than Matt Farniak is, but – I think uh, both of those guys, I mean, I could have said Farniok, too, for that question as well. Um, When we think breakouts, we always think of people that haven't necessarily had their chance yet. Mm -hmm. But I I do think that, at least in this, he has a chance to break out in terms of how people see him.
1: Yeah, there's two tiers to it. There's the guys who have been, like, second on the depth chart, and now they're going to break out in the starters. And then there's guys who have been starters, and you're going to become, like, all-conference types. And I actually think the latter is the most important for this program right now. Because every year there's going to be guys who break out and they move up one peg. But it's time for some guys who have been starting for two years or something to, you know, your Carlos Davises of the world to be like a second-team all-conference guy, you know, or a challenge for first team, that sort of thing. And if,
0: I if you know, Hymas was an unfair answer to that, my other one probably would have been like Deontay Williams, who I think is going to be borderline all conferences to say I think he's going to be Nebraska's best defensive player
2: so here here's the the superlative Hymas was the 11th offensive lineman in the history of the program to start as a true freshman going back Jake Young was the first f- true freshman to oh, earn 11? a letter uh, on the offensive line this is an 86 uh, since freshman eligibility was restored in 72 so we'll get that full list for you i was
1: Greg Austin one of them? Austin played at a pretty young age, um, so it's possible. Uh, and Austin was set for a pretty darn good career. He just had those new yeah. problems that mm-hmm. kind of got in the way. But uh, yeah, that's those are good names. I think to that to the question. And real quick, back to Tyron Ferguson. I I the linebackers. They're so interesting to me because the depth and the coaches will just flat out say it, is a little scary. Like, they don't feel completely great about their depth yet. And even with that said, if Doman and Ferguson are the dudes that I think they can be and they can stay healthy and that Nebraska can just have some good luck with health across the board with their linebackers, that can be a pretty good crew, I think. But yet there's that fear, like, if one guy goes down, what's it look like then? And that's that's where it gets a little nerve-wracking and why you need guys like another guy we could say needs to break out is Caleb Tanner. I mean, it's, it you know, he's going to be an important piece for that outside linebacker depth. They only got three guys right now they really feel strong about. Alex Davis is the third, and so uh, – a guy like Tanner needs to join that mix. Obviously, Garrett Nelson's a guy I think to watch there. But uh, Ferguson—that's why I—I'd I, put him high on. it. we're going through our most indispensable Huskers. I—I I like him on that list too because of um, just the kind of the margin I see between him and the guys who are backing him up.
0: Do we want to talk about that list at all? Brun says no.
1: Next next week maybe. We huh? Get into it. Let's a little bit later I think maybe cuz
2: you're what number 18 right now.
1: Yep, we're 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 through 3. We've got uh we've got Cam Taylor, Colin Miller and uh Wondale. Wandale so far.
0: Okay. Well, we'll talk about that next week. In the meantime, you should be checking out Husker 24/7. We got the barbecue this week. Plenty going on. There's going to be a commitment this month I can feel it. I mean, I already told you I think it's going to be Alex Kahn. So There could be more than one commitment. Who else could it be? If there is, we'll have it at Husker 24-7. If there's not, we'll have the coverage of that at Husker 24-7 too. So just go to Husker 24-7. Catch this podcast again next week.